friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 46. It is Monday, July 15th, 2019. I'm in a good mood. I've been on summer break. As many of you know, my uh, wife is a teacher, so she gets the summers off. So I try not to book tours around the summer, and we get to do fun stuff. Like, for instance, we went to Martha's Vineyard with both of our families this week. And, uh, you know, growing up in California, the beaches and everything are very different on the West Coast than the East Coast. And Martha's Vineyard, for those of you who have never been, is just very interesting because it's got forests and ponds and... I jumped off a bridge where they filmed Jaws into the water. Uh, we rode bikes. It was just awesome. Like I've been just getting my healthy lifestyle back together, eating right, exercising. I had, this might be kind of gross, but I had E. coli. Hey, great. For three weeks, I had diarrhea and I was vomiting. And I know that might be TMI. When I flew out from Anime Midwest on the airplane, probably 80% of the trip, I was hogging the bathroom, vomiting. Now, this I know it's gross. You probably don't want to like have that image in your head. So pretend I didn't say that. But when I got on my antibiotics and got cured of this E. coli, which I got, I think, from like a bad lettuce on a bad sandwich somewhere when I was traveling, which I had no idea that you could do that, but that's what the doctor said probably happened. After I was done um, peeing out of my <laughs> butt, this is so gross, I got better and I had like, felt like I was reborn. And I lost a lot of weight with E. coli, so I recommend it for a dieting tip. But I feel good and uh, I feel healthy and biking and swimming, it, it was great. And I'm going back to California uh, this week to see some friends, work on some projects, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm back on the East Coast, July 27th in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, playing the New Jersey GamerCon with Megaran. I'm about to announce some more West Coast dates for the fall with a very cool band um, and another act. I can't announce it yet. Y'all know about the Aquabats and Cuckoo Kangaroo East Coast Tour, but that's what's going on. My tour dates are always up at nerdcoretour.com, and you can always support the podcast and get new music if you go to patreon.com slash mclars. I'm doing a new thing. I'm having a section of the podcast where Patreon supporters can call a Google voice number and leave a message, a story about how they first discovered my music and like a favorite song. And uh, Patreon people who get featured on the show will get a free t-shirt. So if you want to be part of this, go to patreon.com slash mclars. I'm going to message everyone the private Google voice number. Tell me your shirt size and I'll give you a bonus shirt. In addition to the shirt you get, the annual shirt you get for supporting me on Patreon. That's crazy. And I have something else going out to Patreon supporters through the podcast that I can't announce yet. So if you're not on the Patreon, it's worth it because it helps me make new music. I'm putting out a song about how I miss Mad Magazine. Well, I'm going to miss Mad Magazine, which I'm really proud of, and uh, some other stuff. So I want to shout out the new supporters. This episode is brought to you by BT, Ben, and Brian, some of the new supporters, and some of the older supporters, Walter, Michelle, and Tim. Thank you all very much. I couldn't thank you enough. I'll never have commercials on this podcast, but y'all make it possible. Brought to you by the amazing Larshans, which is what I call the Patreon supporters. All right, let's get into it. I'm healthy. I'm not sick anymore. I have an interview with one of my favorite recent discoveries of modern musical history, Pittsburgh's Weird Paul. Woo, yeah, woo, Weird Paul. So, Weird Paul. So a lot of you, when you hear the word Weird Paul, you might think, wait, is that like Weird Al? 
And I didn't ask Paul this, but he's a huge Weird Al fan. So I think there's a connection there, but he's very different too. He writes his own original songs. I found out about Weird Paul because years ago, Lord Grunge from Grand Buffet, which was a hip hop group, well, is a hip hop group. They're not so active now. They did a lot of touring with Wesley Willis and Sage Francis. And I met them almost 20 years ago when they played a show in Palo Alto with Wesley Willis and again in San Francisco. And I met Lord Grunge and we kind of kept in touch. And he gave me feedback on my music over the years. And he was always brutally honest with me. And I played a show with them at South by Southwest. And I was always such a huge fan of Grand Buffet. So one day I was on Lord Grunge's YouTube channel and I was curious to see who, what YouTube channels he subscribed to. I know, I'm, I'm like such a fan of this band. And one day I want to interview both those guys. But uh, that's another story. So I saw he was following this dude, Weird Paul, who I'd heard of and who I'd seen in, they did this musical called Pittsburgh Batman, which was like a funny hip-hop musical. Well, it only had one song, but it was like about m- making fun of Pittsburgh culture and how uh, Gotham City is kind of modeled on Pittsburgh. Weird Paul makes a cameo in the production and helps tell Batman, as played by Lord Grunge, on where to find the Joker. So Paul is in it as a pop culture expert. So I binged Paul's videos over the holidays, and um, one of his more popular videos is one where he reviews a McDonald's breakfast from the 80s. And it's really funny because he's like this earnest, goofy, fun, cool kid, like describing the breakfast as he eats it. And Weird Paul, he calls himself the original vlogger. He was making these video blogs before YouTube was even a thing. He just filmed everything he did, just earnestly, passionately, crazily. And it goes on for hours and hours in his channel. If you're not subscribed, please do, because it's amazing. And I commented, oh, the McDonald's breakfast is still the same because it looked the exact same. And he tagged my comment and wrote, yo, MC Lars, I generation. So That was crazy. He'd heard my music and I was like super excited because I was listening to his music, watching his videos and I had become this huge fan and like the fact that he'd heard of me was freaking cool. Like I love when that happens. Like when I'm a fan of someone and then they somehow heard something I did that I had no idea they could have heard and it made their way into their subconscious. It's like we're mutual, mutually trading our fandoms or whatever. So Recently, a documentary about Weird Paul came out. It's called Will Work for Views, and it tells the story of how he's built this career for himself online, why he started doing videos, his friendships, his relationships. He goes to LA to play a show. He's in, in Hollywood promoting the show, and he's just like, he's such an inspiring, like I said, earnest, unique, rare guy who has this punk rock mentality. He's funny. He's passionate. He's a really good musician, a really funny lyricist, and his new album actually comes out tomorrow. It's called Lit AF. And the cover is his face made out of light bright. So that's a good good pun that describes Paul's intersection of old culture with like current like social media. So shout out to uh, Weird Paul. And it was so fun talking to him. I had a show in Pittsburgh and I had a school show. And then I played a show with the Nerdcore guys. And that morning, Paul, I, we drove all night. And then I got up like after sleeping two hours and Paul was bushy-tailed and bright-eyed, and it was so cool to talk to this guy who had watched tons of videos on, and I watched his movie. And so we'll work for views. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. I pre-ordered it on iTunes. There's DVD, I think maybe a Blu-ray. I don't know, but watch this movie. If you think, like, if you enjoy our conversation, you'll love this movie. And we are going to debut a song, which comes out tomorrow. It's called Dopamine Drop. And um, he talks about it, but it's basically the idea that when you get like likes and retweets in social media, you get this like drip of dopamine. Like, oh, 
whoa, someone retweeted it. Oh, and so he talks about how that drives him to make his content, but in kind of an ironic way about this like infinite lens of popularity. It's a very clever, funny song, and he played it for me on his laptop before we did the interview, and it's on his record, which drops tomorrow. It dopamine drops tomorrow. So this is my interview with Weird Paul, a Pittsburgh legend, great guy, really just a sweetheart. Like We did this interview in his kitchen, and um, he came to the show, man. I gave him a shout out and gave him some merch, and it was just really cool. He came to the show and stayed for all the acts. And that is rare. Often when like someone will come to a show, they'll bounce after their friend plays, right? Not Paul. And shout out to his partner, Niffer, who's also a really good artist. So this is my interview with Weird Paul uh, on the MC Lars podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here in Pittsburgh with Weird Paul, and we are in his kitchen, and uh, he has kindly woken up early so I could come do a podcast with him. Good morning, Weird Paul. Hey, everybody. It's Weird Paul. Paul, what time do you usually wake up? Oh, well, uh, up, up, if you had asked me that last year, I would have said 11 o'clock. A.M. But I've recently started going to bed a little earlier. I don't. I feel like maybe it's because I'm starting to get a little older, and I just feel like I, I, my body doesn't want me to stay up that late. I seem to do a little better now if I'm going to bed a little earlier. So I've been waking up earlier. I've been waking up. Uh, I mean, I, I usually wake up around ten, fifteen, ten thirty. But uh, my body seems to just not really care anymore. Like today, it woke me up at nine. What time was it? Nine twenty. 9.15, I think it was. So I've been waking up a lot earlier. Yesterday, it was like even before 9. My wow. body just is starting to wake me up a lot earlier. So I have to go to bed earlier usually. I don't have a choice anymore. When do you... Darn it. When do you feel most creative though? Do you like to get stuff done in the morning or night? Well, uh, let's see. I mean, I feel like I have the most energy usually in the late afternoon because I've already been up for a while and it takes me a while to get going. It really does. And some people are ready to go right away. But I don't... You know, a lot of people will get up and have a, a couple coffees or whatever, and I don't, I don't really handle caffeine, so it's just I have to naturally wake mm. up. But I seem to like really late at night, like or, or not really late at night, but for me, like once it gets to be like eight, nine, ten o'clock, then I'm like, oh, it'd be really great to start recording right now. <laughs> right, that's right. what I'm gonna do. Like right when it's like too late, when it's really too late, and like you know, pe- there's people are sleeping and you can't like making noise. You have been doing this for years and years. And that's one of the amazing parts of the documentary. And it's interesting how the like new media technologies have caught up with your prolific energy and your passion. And was there a moment when you were like, oh, this, all this work I did as a kid has like paid off for my career or was it kind of a gradual thing? Um, I mean, it was more gradual, I think, because, you know, once I realized, oh, I can start uploading this stuff to YouTube, or you could start uploading all your audio recordings somewhere, you know, now there's a place to put things where everybody can check them out, whereas we couldn't do that in the 80s. There was no way that you could make that happen. So, you know, I I, I, I realized that there was the opportunity to do it, but whether people were actually going to whether I was going to have enough visibility for people 
to actually do that or whatnot. That was the the thing that that I didn't realize, you know, whether this was actually going to amount to anything, whether anybody's mm. going to actually see it. And I've always been kind of a late adopter on most things, unfortunately, you know. And it's not because I, I don't know things exist or whatever, but, it's you know, YouTube is a good case in point. I didn't start uploading, you know, to YouTube on a regular basis or whatever until 2012. It already existed for quite a long time at that point. But I didn't have the means to be able to do it. I didn't have a way to digitize my old videos. I didn't have, a dig I don't have, you know, I still really don't, didn't have a digital camera until just very recently, a couple of months ago. So uh, I didn't have a way to mm. put things on there. So I was, it was not because I couldn't get on it. I'm, it wasn't because I, I didn't want to use it. It was because I wasn't really able to. It was the same thing with Vine, which I was really big on Vine for a while. Not as mm. big as Nicholas Magalis or anybody, but I was, I was, you know, I had a decent following on Vine, but it was the same thing. Vine wasn't for Android. It was only for iPhone, and I had an Android phone, so I had to wait until they made it available. Mm. So that, it's always been like that. I just, <laughs> I'm never able to, to actually uh, start using things right away. And that's what's very charming, I think, when I show your videos to new people and especially like when I showed my wife your videos and we, we really were, we went on like a binge over the holidays is that it's this creating by any means necessary mm. and using your tools and the aesthetic being true to that like 80s aesthetic, which is very charming and gives your videos like a unified vibe. And I wonder how much of that is intentional versus just because you want to do it and you just, these are the tools I have, let's go now. The only reason that it would have been intentional to begin with was because um, I felt more comfortable doing it because that's what I've been doing my whole life. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was definitely necessary because I didn't have any other tools to do it. Like I said, I got a digital camera a couple months ago. Uh, a guy, kid, a guy I went to high school with, um, he gave it to me. So I could actually use that now. But mm. the fact is, my, you know, my fan base has already said, you know, we don't want you to change the way you're doing things. We want you to keep doing it like this. And it's worth the extra effort to do it that way because it makes people happy. And it's, you know, and I, I, I personally, I think it's cool. I, I don't, I don't hate it. You know, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I agree, man. It's like you're a, a someone who paints with this, within a specific medium. Yeah. And it also, what it is fascinates me about your work is it tells the story of our, especially the American connection to um, media as consumers and the idea that this whole punk rock thing that like you become a more happy spiritual person by creating more consuming less right and so using the tools that are there in a way to put your stamp on especially with your work like the output of like everything that we're nostalgic about or everything that's been marketed to us but the stories that come around each thing is kind of like the rare human element that I think we're so disenfranchised from with social media. Yes. And, and to have a, what I love about your work is to have like this clear connection. Like here's this guy who's been telling his story through pop culture since the beginning, who seems like a happy person, who's incredibly prolific. It just, me artistically, it's, it's really, it's been inspiring discovering your work and <laughs> meeting you and everything. And yeah, I, I, I guess Going back to the question of how much of that is accidental versus you wake up saying, okay, I've got these tens and tens of thousands of subscribers and I need to inspire them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. long question. I mean, yeah, I mean, that always goes through my head. I, I, I say, you know, I want, I, I like making people happy and I want to, I, I try to please people. 
And as time goes on, you can't please everyone. It's just impossible. When I started out, it's, you know, there was plenty of time. Somebody said, oh, could you, could you do this little thing for me, you know, this and that? And I say, yeah, sure, no problem. The longer you do things, the more people you interact with. I mean, you know, my messages are out of control, as you probably would understand. I, yeah. You can't keep up with them anymore. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I still haven't replied to all my messages. And I, I feel bad. And, you know, in the, in the movie, you'll see me always talking about answering every comment. And at the time I was, but that movie was shot, you know, that's almost two years ago now. Mm. The movie was finished filming and I don't uh, have the time anymore. I can't. If I put up a new video or something, I write back to everybody right away. But, uh, you know, I can't go in and just respond to every comment. There's no time. I wouldn't be able to do anything else, you know. Right. And that's not not good. And that's another thing, though. It's a trap you get into. You know, I haven't put out an album in, in almost six years, five and a half years. And that's because I just got into this cycle of just okay i've got to i got to get this youtube video up this day and i got to make this x amount of videos and i got to do this and i was actually very disappointed because i falsely assumed that if i sort of followed the schedule and kept doing this stuff and uh, you know that i was going to get further than i did you know and i didn't my my it didn't stop my ascension you know i get you still get the same amount of subscribers but i was expecting it would start to increase it would go up faster mm. and it never did. And I don't, you know, I just don't have, I don't feel like it's worth me putting all of my life energy into something when it's not going to go bigger than it is. It should, it should, it should go larger and it's not. So I need to, I need, I, I said, you know, I kind of goofed. I need to get this new album out. I shouldn't be letting something as important as music to me fall by the wayside, which I really did let it. So, but yeah, it's important to, I feel like, inspire people, you know, that that's, I mean, not everybody cares. <laughs> right, right. But I, that's, that's what I, I feel like is important, you know, because I, I get inspired and it's, you know, it, the feeling that that gives me is it's powerful and I, I like to pass that on. And that is kind of one of the, the hooks, the, the cool thing about what you do with YouTube is how you made these nostalgic videos about the past and your reviews as a way to get people into the music and yeah do you feel that has been successful it has i yeah. mean you know the thing is that i found out was that a lot of people the majority of people are only going to watch what they want to watch right you know for instance i did this series one year i did a series of a hundred videos of all of my favorite songs from the 80s you know a hundred of my favorite songs was a hundred videos and i did it all year i did two a week for the entire year and what I found out was people weren't watching them. And to some extent, I think it was because YouTube, it was, you know, YouTube has really made things hard for people now. You know, you have to follow their rules to the letter or they're going to punish you. Mm. One of the, their rules is all your videos have to be about the same thing. They have to be very, very similar. And so I was making videos about all sorts of different things. And I still do because I don't care. I don't play by the rules. You know, I never right. have. I just don't care. I don't care if I'm punished. So... I made that series and I spent a lot of time, you know, doing that that year and they just never really got, I mean, there's still some of those videos have been up. That was, I did that in 2017 and some of those videos still don't have a thousand views each video, you know, which wow. is, you know, I, I still think that most of my videos have at least that many views. So I'm, uh, you know, it's, it was kind of disappointing. And so, um, I, you know what? I lost the train of thought. What was the question? Yeah, the question being that, like, <laughs> when you are ha having a method to building every your career and everything like that, and how that's fed fed into your music career. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. 
some people are not going to watch the music. They just don't care. They want to see what I bought at the thrift store or what have you. You know, they're, they're not going to listen to my music. But the thing is, the good thing about YouTube is if they like one video, they're going to suggest other videos to them. And a lot of times those are going to end up being my music. And it's all a thing of learning how to shuttle things through this tube to people, you know? Mm. Um, if you found out that maybe a video suddenly got a lot of views about something, then you try to push something else that's related, to, that's music related to them. For instance, my uh, video about how I do my hair, you know, it was, it was getting a lot of views every day, like thousands of views right. every day at one point. So then I had a video of my mom cutting my hair to my song, Bowl Cut. So I started trying to push that to people more so that they would watch it because it had to do with the haircut video. Yeah. So you can use these means uh, of what's popular at the moment, what's trending, and you don't even have to do it on the larger scale. It's, oh, it's Star Wars Day. Let's do a video about Star Wars. That's going to get lost because in the shuffle because there's so many people doing that. Yeah. But you could do it on your own scale, you know, of trying to show people something related to what they already watched that they already liked and then try to get them into the music. So, but, you know, I've noticed it's just like, you know, I didn't, you don't think about it, but it's like back in the 80s when I would watch music videos and, you know, how MTV changed the musical landscape back then because people would see the music video, then they'd get the song stuck in their head, then they'd want to go out and buy the record. And so now I realized, because now it's happening for me, you know, the songs of mine that are the most popular are the ones that I make the videos for. Right, right. And even a song that has been out for seven years, let's say, and I finally make a music video for it. People say, I love the new song. This love the new uh, song is amazing. Right. Like, it's seven years old, but thank you. <laughs> you know, I still appreciate that. It's because that's how people get to hear something. That's how they get it, they, because it's shown to them in a much closer context than them having to try to search it out. Are you saying, why don't you listen to this? Oh, maybe I'll listen to it. Yeah. It's put right in front of them. Then they're going to check it out. There's this kids band I do a lot of work with. They're called Cuckoo Kangaroo. Oh, yeah. And you know them? Uh -huh. And Brian from Cuckoo Kangaroo said that it's like when you're touring, if you pick one of your new songs and decide to play it every night, that's the song people are going to, you're going to turn it into your quote unquote hit or whatever. The stuff that you put energy into, if you put it as your set or make a video for it, we have the power. It's not some like corny A&R person right. being like, this is the single. We need to recoup the advance and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's such a great time to be a creative person. And like you and I have both been doing this for so long. I feel like I'm living through the, this era is a perfect era. I was lucky to be born and still alive in. Wow. It's, I started, got to do all the stuff that I did early on. Yeah. I'm still able, now I have the new tools that people are having. I mean, it's just, for me, to any other time I've been alive would have been wrong. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I, the reason I say that is because now I have the street cred uh -huh. to say, I'm OG. Right, Doing right. this back then. Right. And now I'm bringing it to you now. So there's, there's going to be a time when, I mean, I guess we're already in the time. Every, it's, not gonna, it's not unusual to see people filming anything, everyday life, mm -hmm. you know? And you see that on YouTube. There's a cutoff point, though, where there's, you know, a certain year where, okay, it's going to be pretty rare. And as you go back, it's it rarer and rarer that you're going to see somebody just sitting in front of a camera talking, you know? Right. So, you mean like as a, just the, like, it's going to be more rare to have, like, the vlogs? Vlogs yeah. or be out filming 
cars going by or whatever. I yeah. mean, there's a there's a time when that's okay. Now you can see anywhere all over the world people doing that. Right. As to versus there's not very much footage of that. Right. Right. Know, so. right. <laughs> well, it's interesting that your career bridges the two centuries, right? Yeah. The idea where every Christmas and every song you love, creating a document a document of that. And a hundred years ago, it would be inconceivable to even have video of a parent to show like your future sure. generations. I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you is, how do you stay conscious and like spiritual and happy when you're always making sure you're documenting your past, your future, your present. What is this hack there? <laughs> well, you know, it's not easy. That's the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can say that uh, a couple of years ago, I was a lot more miserable mm. than I am now. I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of depression in my life, so it's, it wasn't something new for me or anything, but it's just frustration and you know i gotta have this done by a certain time i gotta do this by a certain time it's hard to keep um that kind of timeline going forever you know and that's why there's the people who are really successful on youtube it's because youtube now their thing is okay we want long videos your videos should be almost 20 minutes long and we want you to upload every day Mm. and those people get the most visibility because youtube gives it to them i'm not gonna ruin my life you know Right. I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. And right. there's the thing is, I say this to anyone who will listen. These people have this is what they do. YouTube that's their career, you know. I am not that I'm not that YouTuber. Right. You know? I'm a, I I feel more, I'm more of a musician first and foremost, you know, no matter what people want to think about me. That's that's what I love to do the most. And so if I could play a lot of shows, go on tour, you know, record a new album, whatever. I'd rather be doing that yeah, than making videos. And so that's what I, I finally kept saying every year. I'm going to cut back on the videos and, uh, and just work on this. I couldn't get myself to do it. I was, it was almost like an addiction, you know, to right. get the next video up because right. that's what I'm getting. I'm, I'm getting close. Maybe this is the, make, make this next one. It's going to take me up. After a while, I just said, this is, this is not getting anywhere. It's not taking me anywhere, you know? I, I should have 100,000 subscribers by now. I don't. And I'm just not going to keep putting my time into this like I was. I'm, right. not, I'm certainly not giving up on it. And it's, I, I have no intention of stopping. But you just got to f- learn where to focus your time. And, you know, I'm doing something right now that I haven't done in years. Every night before I go to bed, I read for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Oh, wow, man. I haven't read books in, in a decade, probably. That's amazing. Because I put all my time in it. Literally, I'd be working right until bedtime editing a video, you know? Yeah. And so I feel so great sitting there reading you can't yeah. understand how wonderful that feels so you know it's just i got to the point well i'm almost 50 years old and i have to try to enjoy my life somewhat that's a very inspiring perspective to be like i'm not going to keep banging my head against the wall for something that is is not happening exponentially like it should yeah like kind of you see what happens with other people and then that makes the quality of the videos you do more real would you say or you enjoy them more when you are doing posts yeah i think so because i'm not it's not uh torture anymore i'm not saying i have to have this done by a certain time you know and 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 i have to make 10 videos right now or whatever i'm just taking my time i'm uploading them when i want to it's not on any schedule 
So, you know, it, 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 it does make it more fun. Definitely. Do you feel like you can support yourself with like the streaming revenue and the YouTube revenue at this point? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, the funny thing to me is that I'm making almost the same amount of money right now not uploading. I mean, I'm uploading one or two videos a month right now. Mm-hmm. And I used to do, you know, in 2017, I was doing five a week, basically. Jeez. So I'm making about the same amount of money. Wow. And because I have so many videos up. I have like a thousand videos on my channel. Oh. And people are still watching them, especially because I'm not playing anything new. They probably go back and watch the old ones. Yeah. Plus, we have people who never saw me before come on my channel. And then they just binge watch through years of videos I've been making. You know, I set the groundwork already. It's already there. You yeah. Know? And so all that says to me is, well, maybe if I was making more videos, I could make a little more money. But it's all a time versus money thing, you know? Right. That's what it all comes down to. And uh, the, little, the little bit more money I'd be making isn't worth all that time that I don't have right now. So the revenue is, is you know, the, the only reason I'm probably making the same amount is because they shut everybody out, you know? Do you know what I mean? If right. you don't have a thousand subscribers, you can't monetize your channel. Ugh. So before, you only need one subscriber to monetize your channel, I, I think. And so now, all that ad revenue that was going to thousands and thousands of channels right. now is all being split up into very smaller, much smaller percentage of channels. Because just think how many channels had a thousand subscribers or less. So many, you, you wouldn't be able to count them all. So even if you had like a... 10 subscribers and you had a, a video that had like a million views you couldn't monetize it now you can't no wow that's wild so they kind of they brought up the drawbridge they sure did yeah and they did that because it was this whole thing with the bots going through i mean i have a lot of videos that are marked no monetization and they won't watch them to check unless you've gotten a thousand views on them in one week Oh god! My old videos aren't going to get that. And some of them are just me playing with my Star Wars figures. I think it, maybe it's because I have the word wars in the title of the video. Yeah. They have a bot that searches for this stuff. So I'm not even making money on some videos. And sometimes I've heard people say that. I put up a video, you know, put up my new video, and I have to hope. I have to hope that YouTube doesn't, you know, uh, decide that it's not viewable by everyone for whatever reason, you know, so that I won't make money on it, you know. Because you put work, work into something, and then all of a sudden they say, oh, sorry. No revenue. It's like it's almost like a feudal system where we're the peasants mining, the f- working in the field that the, the kings own, and they can decide if our harvest that year was fruitful. You know what I mean? It's a good analogy, Lars. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I I do think that's a great analogy. Um, but yeah, they you know they they seem to be a lot more interested in creating their own original content now, much like Netflix or something. Sure. Like Amazon. So they don't really care about the little guys as much you know and i think the little guys are finding other platforms like patreon and spotify that's true which are a lot more fair i guess per user and like i remember when myspace got kind of antiquated and not so much fun you know people were kind of scattered it's so funny that you said this last night i said i was trying to say sniffer i said so-and-so just wrote to me on facebook and i said so-and-so wrote to me on myspace i actually said that (laughs) like i'm like it was stuck like 10 years ago (laughs) somehow i got stuck in my head but uh, boy, yeah, I mean, I remember going through that time, MySpace. Oh man, checking it every day to see how many more friends you got or whatever. I don't think they called them followers on there. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. Your first band was with uh, Manny? Well, sort of. I mean, yeah. I, I had a couple kind of bands in high school before that. Yeah. Um, this guy, Ed Agogo, who I went to high school with, he was my first drummer. He went, uh, he left to go to art school 
and I already had a show booked or something because he had just graduated from high school. And I said, I, I showed up at the show and I said to Manny, I don't have a drummer, it's just me. And Manny's response was, I'll play drums with you. Wow. Literally, literally. And he just got up on stage, used the other band's kit and just, you know, and he was familiar enough with most of my songs that, you know, he was able to pull it off. <laughs> what was that venue? started playing. It was a place called the Sonic Temple, which is now famous because it was the first place Nirvana ever played in Pittsburgh. Wow. And uh, which Manny had booked. That was a show Manny had booked here. And um, yeah, that was the last show ever at that place that Manny played drums with me, closed down that night. And, uh, you know, we just, then every time Manny booked another show, he was sitting in on the other band's drums because <laughs> he didn't have a drum set. Was this in the 90s or 80s? That would have been 89. Wow. Yeah, I've been playing live in Pittsburgh for over 30 years now at this point. So. How has the scene changed or has it? And how would you like typify Pittsburgh's music culture? I don't, I'm going to say the scene hasn't really changed that much from my perspective. You know, I don't really feel like it has changed that much. The main thing that changed is, and this has changed everywhere, is that people don't need to go out to see a band live when they can watch the video of them playing live on YouTube. Sure. So I feel like there's less people going to see shows mm. on the level of shows that I'm doing, you know, maybe not bigger shows, but on the level of shows that I'm doing, I don't feel like as many people go out. Um, Pittsburgh is not a town for music, in my opinion, because it's a sports town. Most of the people mm. here, because we have three big teams here. So most people are interested in sports mostly and sports go all the whole year long basically as soon as one season ends the next one starts so there's yeah. always something to watch and uh you know i usually use this as the example i was i had a show booked and very it was very scheduled very rigidly this show i and every act were scheduled very rigidly in a time frame and when i got there they said you can't the, the penguins game just went into overtime you can't start playing you know we can't let you on stage until the penguins game ends and so i had to actually throw some people off of the the show because oh, because of that and i don't think that's right no. You shouldn't be going to a venue to play a show and then have to not perform because there's a sports game still on. I just don't believe in that. So, uh, you know, that's the thing about it here is that it's not, I don't feel like it's, this is a town more like where you, it's more bands going to see bands. Right. It's not right. fans going to see bands. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, it's not, not the best town for music. I'm a, as you know, I'm a fan of Grand Buffet, as I know you are too. Absolutely. And it's been interesting. I remember when um, Lord Grunch used to have a podcast. Him Back in like 2006, mm. it was like, I think he just did it for like a year. Okay. But um, hearing their stories about this desire to tour and hit the road. Oh, I do remember his podcast now. Thank he, you. You brought that back. He Don't had like back. height on it and all sorts of like some of their friends. And I always was intrigued by their stories about Pittsburgh, how back back when they started that it, it was kind of like rough. It could have been rough. People would like want to fight you if your set was like aesthetically not pleasing to them. Did you ever find that? <laughs> you know? Oh, that I mean, that just happened recently. And it was again with the sports. Somebody was watching sports out in the bar and there was a very noisy band up on stage. This was a few years ago. Yeah. And, you know, noisy on purpose band. That's how they sounded. Right. And the guy came in from the bar came up to the stage, you know, got right into the singer's face. He said, I'm trying to watch the game out there. You know, this is too loud. And then he wanted to fight the guy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's, but we have people here that are going to bars to watch the game. They're not interested in the music. 
Right. You know, that's that's the problem. So, I mean, if you're going to have a venue, you've got to have it isolated somehow so that you can have those two things going on at the same time if that's how it's going to have to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's also because in the music business, just like in sports, so much of it is about selling alcohol to yeah. the consumers of it. And it's... Um, no doubt the guy was drunk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So your inhibitions are lowered in both regards. Yes. Um, I remember I went to... a Last when I was here in Feb, in November, I went to like eat dinner somewhere, and there was a sign on the jukebox saying, "No music during Steelers games and all the teams. You cannot touch this jukebox during any local team Not playing." Surprised. And I was like, "Oh, that's exactly what you're talking about." Yeah. Do you think is Pittsburgh like? Will it? Do you feel like you'll always want to live here? Is it home? I don't think I've. Uh, I don't think I've felt that way. You know, for a while now. That I that I always want to or need to live here, um, you know. It's I'm not in a position right now where moving is going to be easy simply because I am just still trying to get by from day to day. You know, I haven't I haven't reached the point yet where I, it's easy to pay the bills. You know, it's not a, mm. a struggle. And uh, in order to move, it would it would take some uh, some money because I have a lot of stuff to move. Right. You know, and. Um, I'm not sure. I, it's not like I have a, a plan or I have like, oh, I'd love to live so-and-so where, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I, I've never really cared too much about my location. That, that part doesn't matter to me, you know, cause I'm my, the, the place where I'm happy is not, I wouldn't say the internet because the internet didn't exist before. The place where I'm happy is me. Right. You know, I, I'm happy being myself and doing what I do and, and I could do that anywhere. So that, that doesn't appeal to me like saying, oh, I'd love to be, such and such a place so i don't know about that but um what i am saying is i don't feel like where i'm living now is the most accepting or, or conducive you know to what i'm doing and, and how i'm doing it and all that sort of thing you've have you toured a lot over the years i haven't no yeah. i haven't um you know it basically is because if you don't have somebody behind you, if you don't have an agent or what have you, or somebody who's just going to make sure that you get paid and whatnot, or if you don't, you know, or you can just go to the point where I don't really have a draw, you know, um, you have to take a risk. You have to take a big risk going out on the road. And, you know, there was, when I, when we started playing the weird Paul rock band, you know, about 10 years ago ish, um, we, we set up, you know, we started setting up little, tours so we did a little tour we everything would go you know everything went pretty well the first one we we're like this is great you know and we tried to do some more and you know eventually got to the point where it was just a total loss we'd come back we would have less money than we started mm. with and i said we can't do this because i can't pay my bills right uh you know if we're losing money i have no money to lose i can't afford to lose anything so we just stopped doing that and so i've been very wary about about going out you know on the road and i'll only do usually little you know we somebody says come up to new york we have a set amount of money for you so, you know, your, your gas is going to be paid. You're going to be in good shape. Yeah. Then, you know, and everybody can bring home something. Then I say, okay, and we, so we'll do that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, it's too much of a risk for somebody like me to just go out and try to, try to play shows. I'm not good at setting tours up. Right. Never been. I don't have the mind for that. It's like, okay, you have to get from this city to this city. And, you know, what day is this venue going to be open? This guy doesn't have anything. We'll go to here. Ugh. It's too much. I can't, my brain can't process it. I don't have that kind of a brain. It's not very 
creative or fulfilling. Yeah. And that's There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you find that touring with a band can be expensive having to make sure everyone's fed? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lot harder. And I, I've done a lot of shows by myself just because of that, you know, somebody will say, and I, I, you know, the little jaunts that I have done in the last couple of years, I have done all by myself just because of that. It's the only way we don't have a vehicle big enough to carry us all. Right. You know, we had, we have taken two cars on occasion. We try to get people to backline. Maybe we can all fit into one car or something, but, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's about it. It's, it's just not feasible. Um, uh, I am talking to somebody right now who's trying to set me up. That what'll be the biggest tour I've ever done, which is ten dates. I've never done that many in a row. Wow, that would be in this fall. So I'm hoping that that's going to happen. And this is somebody who's had experience doing this kind of thing, and you know, it's kind of a booking agent. And uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be a loss. That's the important thing. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, and I it could be the start of maybe me doing that more. I would I love to perform. You know, yeah. I love to see how people react and and how you you can't see how people react on the internet. Right. You can see what they write and if they give you a little heart you know they love it but you know seeing the expression on someone's face when you made them laugh is one of the most powerful things i've ever known you know when right. i was a kid i wanted to be a comedian because i saw you know how how you change somebody yeah by telling them a joke you know it just changed their whole yeah. demeanor you know and uh, you know that's i was like oh, i want to be able to do that there's a magic that is this primal human thing that goes back to the storytelling, sitting around a campfire as cave people, right? That sure. the internet kind of disembodies us from. Yeah. But also, yeah, it, it, it creates it in a more virtual context. And that's cool to hear that you are uh, inspired to do that more. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Will Work for Views. How long were they shooting that project with you? Oh, let me see if I can remember exactly. Yeah. I think it was about a year and a half. I think it was about a year and a half and it was just you know uh whenever they had uh a day uh, you know upset period of days when they weren't doing their day jobs and they would fly out here or whatever you know to film me for a while you know, for a few days or so where were they based uh they were based in los angeles okay mm -hmm. and so they how did they 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 just reach out to you they were fans of your videos or? uh sort of yeah i mean i got an email i was uh, at work one night and I'd gotten an email from um, their company, Interesting Human. And it was filtered through the BBC because what I didn't know is they were, they produced a show called Life Below Zero. Oh, right. For the Nat Geo channel. And that's a BBC America program. And they wanted to know, or they, they said they were looking for subjects to make documentaries about because that's what they wanted to, these, these guys wanted to do. They, they had been working on that TV show, but they wanted to start their own company. Mm. Uh, and so they said they were looking for subjects for documentaries and they found me on YouTube and they, they said that they thought my story was interesting. Yeah. And then I, I just started talking to them and, and you know, I, I remember what I told them was, I said, well, if you don't make the movie, somebody else is going to. Right. And they said, oh, we'll make it. Yeah. It. In your opinion, how has the reaction been and has it affected your audience, you think? Has it grown it? Um, yeah, I mean, it can't help but have an effect, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, it's not like the thing, kind of thing where, you know, one thing I've learned definitely by being on the internet all these years now, because I don't just sit here and passively see everything happen. Everything that happens, I analyze and see what can I do mm. to make this seen more? What can I do to get more interactions? You know, I, I, 
I try to get as much out of everything as that I do as possible. Yeah. And every platform is different and you have to figure out how to how to kind of cuddle it and make it work for you the best. Yeah. Um so I know after all of this that nothing is going to have a significant impact unless it's somehow fed to people in a specific way and to a specific large audience. Right. And that's hard to it's hard to get either of those two things. Yeah. And so at least the thing a good thing about that is now before I would feel let down when something didn't take off or whatever. Now I now I expect that nothing's going to take off. <laughs> you know? I know that something has a little bit of pool. Oh yeah, I'm going to get a couple followers from this. Right, a right. A couple. That's it though, and I shouldn't expect anything else. You know what I mean? Um the movie, the thing about the movie is if it had gotten on some website like maybe Ain't It Cool News or, or something, you know, of that level, then you're going to have a lot of people checking it out and, and, and want to see it. But the thing is, I don't really feel like it, it's had any kind of like big enough press that people know that it exists. I've promoted it myself right, as right. much as possible, and it got a lot uh, of people excited you know, it, it was. I checked on Amazon, like the ranking and all that, and it was very high. There was a lot of people watching it, buying it, yeah, and whatever. And that's because those were my fans and those are my followers, and they wanted to see it. You know, yeah. But beyond that, I don't feel like it's had much of an impact, be- just because it hasn't been presented to anybody, you know, the public that they they can find it easily and see it. And I have had a few people write to me and say, I just found out about you because of this documentary and I, and I can't believe you know I didn't know about you before and everything. And that's, that's great yeah. and that's what I need. And I'm still hoping that eventually uh, it's going to be on more and more platforms. Right. You know, like Hulu or, or whatever. I think it's going to be more viewable to more of the general public and maybe more people will see it. And maybe the right person will see it eventually who's in some sort of position where they can get it presented right. to more people. And that's that's how you get that kind of... Because my numbers haven't really, I mean, when the movie first came out, through word of mouth, I had a little bit of a, an up, you know, yeah. just a little bit. But now, you know, everything's just normal right now, is what it usually is. So, It's a lot, this metaphor of fishing, you're, like for anyone who's creating digital content, you're sitting by this well with this fishing pole and you want to make sure the worm or the, the fly on the lure is the, the coolest bait. one. The bait is really unique. and But having a, a well-produced, glossy documentary about your life seems like... That's something that over time, yeah, it, it's like, oh, this story is bigger than this man who made videos as a kid. This is this is kind of defined and in a way um, been a preview to the culture and and the birth of social media. And that's what's interesting about it that the reasons why we create this content and kind of the spiritual, bigger, more universal truths that keep us going and persevering even when. You're trying to fix a, a broken garden shed or, you know what I mean? Like make, yeah. make sound check. And most sane, reasonable person would look at what stuff like you and I do for a living and be like, really? You spend like 18 hours a day thinking about this stuff and like, why? And, and I think that's like the plight and also the blessing of being an artist. But I'm always drawn to stories of people who are a little different, who just went hard because they couldn't help it. And that's, you know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's interesting story kind of transcends the commercial viability of that. But of course I'm sure they are excited to try to make the money back and they want to push it too. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. 
Uh, you know, they, they have other projects to work on, and that's the same thing as me. I have other projects to work on, and that's the thing. You can't keep putting all your time into one thing. You have yeah. to keep trying. You want you want to keep doing things. You want to keep trying to get somewhere, and so you can't just keep focusing on one thing. But you know, it, what you said is true. It's it's there now. It's like it's part of my legend. You know now. You're right. And I do know what you mean too about those people because. Uh, you know, I can tell whether somebody gets it or not from what they say about the movie, you know? I'd somebody say, uh, you have to do your dishes, you just do them, or you have, you have to knock the shed down, why don't, you know, quit complaining about it, just do it. You, you guys don't get, get it. You guys don't get it. You obviously, you know, I wake up in the morning, and until I go to bed, I never stop. I mean, yeah, I sit there and read for 45 minutes or whatever, but I didn't stop doing anything. Right, I right. don't stop doing anything for a minute. If somebody gets home from work, they're like, okay, I'm just going to sit down on the couch. You know, I'm going to passively watch television. I don't do those things. Right, right. I never stop doing anything from the moment I get up until I go to bed at night. Right. And that's because, number one, I don't want to waste a minute of my life. Life is precious. It's short, you know, shorter than you think. Yeah. And so I want to make sure I got as much done in my life every day and I've done as many things. I don't care about necessarily traveling and things like other people. And that doesn't matter to me, but I still did stuff. I did plenty of things and I have plenty of memories and I have plenty to look back on yeah. what I did. And, you know, those people I feel like who say that must have the time to do something like do the dishes or, or tear down a shed. I'm not making anything happen for myself during that time. I'm not making any memories. What am I going to do? Remember how many times I washed that same bowl? Right. You know right, what I mean? Right, That's right. not productive and it's not interesting. So I could be making, writing more songs. I could be recording more songs. I could be making more videos. And, and Lord knows people keep saying, can you make a video about this? Can you make a video about that? Right. Well, I'd love to, and I hate to let you down, but I'm at a point right now where I just can't keep making all these videos. I have to focus on other stuff, you know? Yeah. And it seems like with young people now, like people younger than us, there's this generational shift where I think people are realizing the toxic addiction to views is draining from creativity and dehumanizing it can be you know oh, sure and you played me a demo of your new song dopamine drop yeah can we talk about that sure uh well it was uh, my friend and boss scott fry uh at work one day uh, years ago he said he was telling me he said yeah he's like when you when you interact on social media you get a like or whatever you get this dopamine drop you know and that's what makes you feel good and they say people get addicted to it because you know they keep they keep trying to get more likes and everything and so I, I, I wrote the hook, right, when he said that, because I usually do that. Somebody says something, and I just catch on to it, and I write this little, yeah, I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop, yeah. I, I have this whole, you know, I have tapes and tapes full of these hooks. Right. And so I said, that's going to be on my next album. And I didn't have any lyrics for it, music, anything. And so I got my whole album recorded except for this one track, and I said, I have to work on this now, and I still have nothing. You know, all I have is that hook. So I had to sit down and write the rest of the song around it. So the first thing I always do when I write a song, when all I have is the hook, yeah. is I think back to my 10th grade creative writing class. Huh. And my teacher told me, write about what you know. Mm. Don't try to write about things you don't know just because you want to write about something. Figure out what about that it is that you do know and how you can write it. If, I classic examples years ago, and the first time I remember thinking about this, I wrote a song called We Love Computers. I didn't really know anything about computers at the time. I didn't even have a computer. Right. I think, what do I know about computers? Well, Commodore 64, I had that in the 80s, so I wrote the song about the Commodore 64. Right. This was in 2004. Right. So now I did this, do the same thing, you know? So I'm like, okay, well, well, I had to do a little research about exactly what dopamine is and all of that and how it works. But uh, because that's how nerdcore is, you have to be very specific. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you know, I put it into 
I filtered it through what I know about social media, and I wanted to make it relatable. So I didn't say put anything in specific to just me in it. You know, I wanted everybody to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I got that dopamine drop that time." Yeah, you know? because I got a lot of likes. But it's not. It's not really me saying. I mean, I I I get dopamine drop. It makes me happy. But I'm not addicted to it to the point where I'm like um, just saying, oh, "I got to get it. I got to get it. I got to get it." The song is a little bit of me being. I'm being a little sarcastic about the whole thing, you know, right, I'm like, right. okay, here it comes again, the dopamine drop, you know, I'm going <laughs> right. to get it. Once you get to a point where you're getting like, you know, I just put up a Facebook post that got 460 likes the other day. So when you get to that point, it, it starts to not become as important how many likes you got. Right, you're right. Like, I'm going to get a lot of likes, so it's not that big of a deal. But it's just, you know, but for me, it's always been the human connection you know because i've always been shy i didn't have any friends in high school growing mm. up at all you know when i was a kid i didn't really had any friends mm. and a lot of my life i never really had any friends so now with the internet you have and you can you could say you could tell who's your friend and who's not your friend even through the internet mm. you know i mean yeah. you have people like they're being critical they're being insulting yeah you know, they're they're what do they call it when somebody gives you a, a compliment a ha- um like a you know two faced compliment, right, you know right, you can right. tell who's who's your friend and who's not. Yeah. So by how they talk to you and what they say. Yeah. So I but I get to meet some of these people in real life eventually. I get out on the road, you know, or somebody's visits me or whatever. So, um, you know, that's that's what I like. I like I like meeting people. I like having a rapport with people. You know, and you know, I guess you can only do that to some extent, and you get really popular you have too many people that want to talk to you all the time you just don't have time and that's a shame but you know you still get to meet meet people you can go out on the road meet your fans or whatever and uh, i love yeah that. i love that i think fans understand that you know you can't write back to everyone and it's it's a that dopamine drop comes from them uh, we're using dopamine drop but really you also said you learned it's like a different term dopamine drip is i drip. think what it was supposed to be but now it's <laughs> now it's dopamine drop see but that's that's another great thing i yeah. mean you 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 make something new that doesn't already exist i mean it's like my song peanut butter recall it's right there was never a song about peanut butter recall and actually that's a, one of the only songs i ever wrote where i said i'm gonna write this for a specific reason i want people to google peanut butter recall or put it on youtube it'll be the first thing that comes up right and it is now right so <laughs> But that's, that's yeah, but it's a similar thing. Dopamine drop, right, right. That and and these plays on words, these puns become kind of take a life of their own. And yeah, that, and that's and so this. How do you get there? Well, like your creative writing teacher said, you write what you know, and you just do it a lot. And I like what you said yeah. about maximizing every minute of the day. And I wanted to ask you, Paul, when you had your son, who's now how old is he? He's a twenty-three. Wow, how did it change you as an artist? Like, when did you find you had time to do more content and be creative? Well, you know, I mean, the first thing I, I immediately thought of when you said that was, I watch a lot of horror movies. I always have. Yeah. And, you know, one of the most horrific things in horror movies is when a child is killed. Mm. And I remember that after my son was born, I was watching some movie and a child was killed and it really bothered me. Mm. And before that, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me to that extent. Wow. That was the first thing I remember thinking after my son was born. I was like, wow, uh, that's just so upsetting now. It, it does really change your outlook on things when you have a child. I mean, it really does. Uh, unless you're just an unfeeling monster. Mm. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, I was in a, in a period, I mean, I'd gotten married years before, and, you know... I, 
sometimes, you know, you, you, you get in a relationship and the other person maybe, especially if you're young, you're still changing and growing. Right. And the other person, you know, you, you change, the other person changes. You're not exactly who they, you, you were, you know, when you first got together. Yeah. And I think that kind of happened in my marriage. And, you know, my, my wife wasn't real supportive of me making videos. She didn't, she didn't like me doing that. And I made a lot, lot, I did a lot less video making in the 90s, you know, than I did in the 80s or, or afterwards. Because she just, you know, she didn't like that I was doing that. Uh, and, you know, musically, I was in a situation where I wasn't, you know, I w- wasn't signed anymore to a label. I didn't um, have as much free time. Um, the songs were still coming to me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I still had to record them and, and all of that and make them happen. But, you know, it wasn't the focus of my life anymore. Right. You know, and it was, I just remember that period as being a very depressing time for me. Not because of my son being born, because, you know, that was a joyful thing. Right. But because... I wasn't able, I didn't have the creative outlets that I needed to function as a person. And also because, you know, my marriage just wasn't strong like it, like it should have been. Mm. So it was a very, that was the, the most depressing time in my life, the hardest time in my life to get through. How long were you married to your wife? Uh, about, was it about eight years? Yeah, about eight years. Do you feel like you're having your son kind of kept you together longer than you would have otherwise, or did that, that make you feel more connected? Um, I don't think it felt made us feel more connected because I think we had different ideas on how a child should be brought up uh-huh. and, and that kind of thing. And so it maybe, you know, I think it pulled us apart more, if mm. anything. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a believer that... I feel like people should have a very strong relationship before they have a child mm-hmm. because the child, I feel like the child needs this strength to be able to be raised properly and, and happily, you know? And especially, I think, being from a broken home is something that's going to make it harder for you to be well-adjusted. And, and my son is very well-adjusted. He's, yeah. he's done great. I'm very proud of him. Um, but, you know, I, I think that things should be as easy as possible for, for a child, you know? It shouldn't be a struggle for them to try to understand what's going on and, and be able to deal with things and um mm. so you know I, I i well that was a failure but uh <laughs> but you know bringing my but I, my son brought me so much joy and inspired me you know there's a lot of my songs i could tell you that was my son inspired that one too yeah you know and uh you know we had we had a lot of fun together making art and, and playing and all kinds of things and some days he's gonna get up on stage with me and do a song with me, I'm sure. So, and he's a fantastic musician, right? Oh, I can't believe how what a great piano player he is. He just he, he's so much better than me on playing piano than I am on any instrument. I mean, he's he's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I saw him used to play Flash Flash Revolution. There, there was one online. You played it with your fingers. Oh yeah, and his yeah. Fingers were flying, and I was like, and then he just bridged from that to playing the piano. And I was <laughs> like, if your fingers move that fast, you've got no problem. You're gonna be an amazing pianist. What are ways to like that you two have continued your friendship? as you're now both adults, like mm-hmm. keeping in touch and, you know, how do you put energy and love into an adult kid? Because I've never talked to anyone about that. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I know exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, the saddest thing about my life is that I feel is that I don't spend as much time with my loved ones as I should. I mean, you know, I live with my girlfriend. I see her every day. 
for how many years now? 11 years that we've been living together here or something. I don't even spend enough time with her mm. that I should. You know, I feel bad about it. I'm so focused on trying to keep my, you know, I, I, I said this. I remember saying it in the movie and they didn't put it in. I said mm. 90% of all the ideas that I have at any given time don't come to anything. Not because they can't, it, not because I don't try to, try to do them. I, there's no time. Yeah, I've, I've approximately time to make 10% of my ideas alive for people to see, hear, whatever kind of art it's going to be. You know, there's just no time. And, you know, with that, working for a living, just making sure the bills are paid. Yeah. You know, it's trying to spend some time with people. It's you know, practicing with your band, performing live. There's so much, so many things. Putting a shed back up. <laughs> Thank <Right>. you. <laughs> uh, it's just, there's, there's too much stuff to do every day. And I don't see my family as much as I'd like to. I, I don't see my son that often at all because he, you know, he, he lives about an hour, hour and a half away. And that's not that far. Right. Some people live across the country. They never see each other. Right. I could see them, you know, but I don't. And I feel bad about it. It's just that you have to say, okay, I'm going to set aside a day to be able to do that. And it's hard. Okay. Oh, I just got another show book. That's my fifth one this month. You know, yeah. you, how are you going to squeeze everything in? I talk to them, you know. And that's where it, where the secret is. I mean, you gotta you gotta be involved in, in someone's life to the extent that you can, you know, or or that you feel able to. You right. Know? And I I'm supportive of my son. My parents have been supportive of me my yeah. entire life. They've never said, they've never tried to tell me what to do. They've never said, um, you know, you have to do this. They've never said any of that. So, um. I try to, I've used that as an example, you know, because I've been happy to be myself. They always let me be myself. And I've been in situations where I was not able to be myself mm -hmm. in my life and I was miserable. Right. So that's the key. Being able to be happy, be yourself and support people and tell them you're doing good. You know, what you're doing is good. You've done a great job. Uh, no matter what they, changes they go through. Right. Mistakes they make, you know. You're 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 going to be all right. You're doing the right thing. You're 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 uh, you're keeping yourself alive. You're right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my son will send me uh, you know a new video of him playing piano or whatever, and I you know I don't have to lie to him. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know I'm so impressed. You wrote that. You know. Mm. Um. So that's that's what it comes down to, and it's not you know you're not changing too much other than the fact you're not treating them like they're a little kid. You don't have to tell them what to do anymore. Mm. You're just being supportive. You're, you know, some people say you can be friends with your parents when you get older. It's not so much being friends, because I think with your friends, you're a lot less respectful. <laughs> you know, that's the main thing. I'm, I'm, I'm respectful. My son, he's respectful back. You know, we respect each other. We care about each other. We'll do things together if, if we have time. Yeah. But it's it has to mostly do with support being supportive and respecting each other. Yeah. Does he come to you for life advice? Yeah, he does sometimes. Yeah, that's awesome. But I can't always, you know, I can't always say this is what you should do. I say if it, I was in the position, this is what I would do. Mm. But I'm not you, mm. and it's ultimately your decision. You know, you. I all I can do is tell you what I think is best, but that may not necessarily be what's best. Not in your shoes. That's like wisdom of... It of is, it was wisdom. Yeah. That's something you only get. When they say that, that's true. You yeah. only get that as you get older, you know? How are your parents doing? 
Like, do you, do you get to spend a lot of time with them? I don't. I mean, I yeah. wish I could spend more with them. I see them a few times a month, maybe two or three times a month for yeah. you know an hour or so, and I would love to spend more time with them. Definitely, and you know, because time is limited, and uh, especially my mom. I wanted to make a bunch of videos with her for YouTube. Mm. Uh, we started doing that together, yeah, and then we just stopped because I haven't had time. And the main thing is, it's this album. It's been plaguing me for years because I've never gone. It's been five and a half years. I've never gone that long without putting an album out. It was every two years, yeah, every two years, always every two years. And now I feel awful. I'm very disappointed in myself that I've <laughs> gone this long without putting an album out. I just feel. Feel like I, I feel like I failed, so I got to get this out. It's down to just mixing it now. Okay. Once I get this out, I feel like that's a huge burden off of my shoulders. Yeah. And I want to be able to spend more time with people and do all these things that I've been putting off. Uh, and you know, because I would love to just sometimes sit down and watch a movie with my dad or something. You know, things I've never done even. You know. Right. And uh, you know that that's that's what's important in life because you know. Like I said, at some point you can't do it anymore. It, there is a limited time frame for these things. What do you think happens when we pass on? My brain fluctuates between all sorts of things all the time. Yeah, you know, and I don't really know what what to how how I'm going to be thinking one day to the next about it. Yeah, uh, I you know I tend to avoid two subjects: religion and politics. Okay, because those are the ones that I've seen break up good friendships. Mm, yeah, and I. There's no reason for that. And if people can't respect each other's viewpoints, which by which I mean not forcing each other to try to see their way, yeah, then you've got to just not talk about those things. It's sad, but that's the, that's the way it is. And uh, you know, all I can say is I'm just not sure. Yeah, I'm just not sure what to think. You know, um, I struggle with that, like yeah. like a lot of people probably do, and. Uh, the only thing I can think is we're here for a limited amount of time. That much is for sure. Mm -hmm. Try to spend it wisely and definitely treat other people with respect because we're all here and we all have to make the best of it. And too many people just care about themselves. Right. And because you see it every day, somebody cutting you off in traffic, whatever. They just don't think about any anything else besides what am I going to do next? How am I going to make this happen? Right, right. For myself. And you have to give the other guy some thought. Maybe that's how we live forever is in being kind and trying to make the world a little bit better, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all there is. Even if somebody's not going to remember you, they might remember. They're not going to know who did that kind thing for them that one time like oh you know i was i would have been stuck in traffic an hour longer if that guy didn't let me over yeah yeah and they'll remember that though yeah you know this is something i love about your work is that there's beauty and goodness and surprise in all the things in life if you look for it if you look for it in like a cool old toy or a funny turn of phrase or you know what i mean or yeah and that's so that's something I really like about your work, and I think that re re maybe reflects you as a person and your beliefs in that way. You know, looking for the magic and the surprise and everything. Absolutely, I, I I used to have that on MySpace on my about me or something. Oh wow! I think it said something like, "I find the beauty in little things, in the specialness, in seemingly uninteresting things." Hey, <laughs> because that's um, what it's about. You know, I think one thing I can remember is whenever I was out somewhere and we had our video camera because we had a kid, we were always filming and whatever. Yeah. I'd be more interested in like 
there'd be a rapper on the ground or something, and I'd, I'd film that. <laughs> My wife would be like, "Stop filming the ground!" And I was like, "But you know, that's that's oh, there. Yeah. It's that's one moment in time." That's what I always look at. Say about my videos. People say, "Wow, this is amazing that this film." And I said, "It was a moment in time right. because that's what it is now." Right. You can't see most moments in time, but that's one moment in time that you can still see, and uh, that's what makes it special because yeah. it's still there. And and I feel like making it making it so something is still there. That's that's you know that's what makes it special. Seeing an old Snickers bar on the ground isn't special, but if you filmed it, now it's a moment in time, and now right. it's special. And that's kind of why, speaking of going back to Pittsburgh, Warhol was so loved because it was like the, the postmodern idea of like a painting of this vitamin jar, Campbell's soup is Good special, point. right? Yeah. And I, don't, I wonder if that's something special to Pittsburgh. You yeah. see magic in this, I don't know. Well, it is to anybody who's not just waiting for the next sports season to start. Right. I mean, a lot of people out there couldn't care less, but that's to, to people who have any kind of artistic inclination. I mean, Warhol is one of the most important things that we, we, we can come up with here. I mean, that's, um, you know, certainly just deserving of having his own museum. Absolutely. Right. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, he set, uh, he set, up for a lot of things that we're we're catching up to right now yeah no doubt about that as did you yeah <laughs> absolutely you, paul do you sometimes feel uh, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly but do you all your the stuff you collect do you sometimes feel like it encumbers you and slows you down or do you feel like it gives you energy like having all this physical toys it's and, it's a little bit of both yeah i mean i get inspired by having something because you know, I don't collect things most like toys that are more current, you know? Right. And there's a reason for that. Things aren't made with, uh, I mean, it, and you could say, oh, everything was made in a factory and everything. A lot of things, though, were assembled by hand back then. Uh -huh. And there was a lot of um, more care put into the designing of things, you know, a lot more human. There was a lot more humanity into it. Yeah. Okay? Is what I'm saying. And now most of what you go, I mean, you can buy any bunch of, toys at the dollar store I and mean, they're lined up in rows and they're just molded plastic it's just a hunk of plastic right there it, it's seriously i mean you could 3d print anything right right it's right. not interesting anymore you know and that's the thing I, I i look at something now an old toy this is an object of beauty you know that's why it inspires me it's like going to see a painting in the museum mm. you know and not because necessarily it's one of a kind although these things are getting hard to find a lot of them you know you have it in your hand and you say of course, it's part of it is a memory. Even I didn't even have a lot of these things when I was a kid. I saw commercials for them on right, TV right. or whatever. But it does inspire me, you know? It gives me inspiration. Every once in a while, I say, um, like right now, I'm, I've been recording this album, so I haven't been able to put everything away. Usually, I'm pretty good about getting everything put away. I keep everything all sorted out into boxes and, and totes. And, uh, you know, yeah. some people think, oh, you must have a mess. I don't. Everything is, is very... Um, what do you say? How do you say? It's very compartmentalized. Yeah. You know, I know where everything is. Cool, yeah. You know, and so it's just a matter of taking a few minutes to put everything where it belongs. And because of my album, I haven't been able to do that lately. So I have mm. little piles of things sitting here and they have to be put away. And as soon as I get the album done, I keep telling myself, as soon as the album's done, putting it all away. So that's the frustrating part. Like I go to get a videotape and I, and I like five tapes fall down or something. Because right. Because I haven't been able to do that lately. Right. But, um, but other than that, I mean, I, I'm not, 
you know, some people think I just keep everything. I don't, and I have, I've been getting rid of a lot of stuff oh, that wow. I don't need. Because my basement's full of stuff from the last, I've been living in this house, what I say, 27 years. Right. There's stuff down there still from the 90s that I don't need. They're not interesting, they're not useful, and they just need to be pitched, you know? So I'm making a lot more space for the things that do matter to me. Wow, and that's a metaphor for you making space in your life for like reading and doing YouTube stuff that's important to you, right? Like, you know, this is the year. It's all, <laughs> it's finally happening. That's I'm glad. awesome. Yeah. You said you, so you just need to mix the new record. Yeah, just <laughs> need to mix it down. And Who, do you do it yourself or do you have mixing engineers? I've you always like done hire? it myself and that's why it doesn't sound, that's why it never sounds very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at, um, at certain things. And, and somebody said yesterday, said, have fun mixing it down. And I thought, this is the least fun part for me. Mixing is the most frustrating part for me because I'm like, no, the vocal still doesn't sound loud enough. But mm. if I turn up, but if I turn down the guitar, you can't hear it. You know, I get really frustrating with that. Yeah. And uh, but I like to have control. Uh huh. I like to have control over it because if you put it in somebody else's hands, who knows how it's going to sound? And I want to hear it sound the way as close to right. the way that I heard it in my head as possible and years ago i had no way of even making anything sound anywhere near if you listen to all my early albums because we were recording with uh with a, a boom box you know right <laughs> and so now i have the tools to actually make it closer i can put in that extra two guitar tracks that i wanted and and, and that extra harmony voice you know right it sounds a little bit more like what i hear in my head and and that's what i'm trying to get out there i want people to hear it like i heard it right instead of they have to, they, they hear something and then they can, they're saying, oh, maybe I heard there should be a keyboard in there, but I don't hear it when there was no way to put it in there back then. But Right, right. <laughs> but now I want to get it in there so you'll hear it. So do you, And you track on GarageBand? Or? Yeah, I've been using GarageBand for uh, 13 years now. Wow. So, wow. And it's still, people say, are you still lo-fi? Pretty lo-fi. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is GarageBand here and I'm not, you know, I don't have any good equipment. There's still a lot of hum in the lines here and everything. So That's the charm of it, right? That's the aesthetic. Yeah, the only huge difference between the 80s and now is now I'm using a noise gate. Ah. That's the big difference. Hey! <laughs> well, how many songs do you have for the new record? Well, every album has been less and less. So now it's 16. It's still, still a lot. I know. And I, <laughs> yeah. you know, because back when I first started doing albums, it was 32. Whoa. Yeah. And now I've gotten it down to, recently it was 20. And the last album was 18. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, get this out quicker. If it's only 16, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Your label, so Rocks and Rolling Records is an ET reference, right? It is. Is it from the game? It's from the book. Okay. The, the novelization. Yeah. And uh, I was reading it in the car one day. You know, this was back in like 82 or 83. <laughs> we were driving somewhere and my sister had the book and I was sitting there reading it because I was bored. Right. And there's a part in there where ET is trying to use as a record player, right? to help make his communication device right, so he can right. get back home. Right. And they're playing the records on it, and they told E.T. they were rock and roll records. But he doesn't quite understand, you know, and he calls them rocks and rolling. <laughs> and that's how I got the name for my, for my label. It was that, and also Weird Al's record label is called Rock and Roll Records. Oh, and because right. because I loved Weird Al so much, I was trying to sort of make a pun on his label. Right. That's why I called it Rocks and Rolling. That's pretty cool. And did anyone ever notice, like before you revealed that it was a reference to the book? Never once. Yeah. Never a single person. <laughs> so. You've done what, 30 records? And I've lost count, unfortunately, but I know it's well over 30. I'm, I, think, I think this might be 35. Wow. Do you feel like your next record you'll have, 
you'll you'll be able to do it more quickly. Like you feel inspired, like, oh, as soon as I mix these songs, I'm ready to go in the studio. Not again. at all. No? Not at all. <laughs> well, it was just a lot so much work getting this done. Yeah. And I put some things on hold, you know. Like I said, I have things I gotta get put away. Uh, I wanna just get, get the basement completely cleaned out. I've stopped doing YouTube and I get boxes, you know, from my fans. And if you look around the corner there and I'll show you when we're done, cool. the pile of boxes from my fans is huge right now. Wow. So I have to get back on YouTube and film all that. Oh right. To show what I got. And I've also been doing something I haven't done in a while, setting up a lot of shows. Yeah. You know, I got some months I got five shows already booked. And, you know, last year I didn't play many shows at all. Sometimes one month, one a month. So I am excited about performing again. Something I haven't felt in a while. So And you'll have this new the new project to promote and new songs. So you have Absolutely. energy. That's, That's another cool. thing you come down to and you maybe have to deal with this too. What do you play? Uh, you know, I mean, right. I get to the point where, okay, I actually, in the last album, I said, this is it. This is the perfect set. Every song in here is a song that people will know. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I want to throw in like one more obscure one because I have 700 songs or whatever. There's some people are going to be like, well, I wish he would have played some weird song. So stick something yeah. else in there. But now with the new album, I'm going to have too many, too many popular songs. So what do you cut out? So I'm going to say, oh, he didn't play Pot of Macaroni or something or right. whatever. You know, he's got to cut. There's not enough time to play forever, so you got to cut something out. That's what an encore is, I guess. Right. If they really want it, you'll give it to them. <laughs> and that's, that's interesting, Paul, because it's like you want to fill your set with your new stuff because you're so excited about it, but fans might be more familiar with the older songs. Well, I always thought that. I mean, you see bands and they say, oh, they played too much new stuff, you know? And I don't want to do that. But... I want to make sure I play the new stuff that people will be excited about or want to hear. Right. So I'm going to just limit it. I'm going to limit it, very limited. But, you know, you make, you're going to make the new music video. That's how we promote music now. Right. You make the new music video. People right. are going to see it. They're going to get excited about it. So that's the one. When you make the video, you're like, okay, that one's going in the set for sure. And then after that, we'll, we'll try to figure out what else we can squeeze in. What do you think will be the first video, or is it too oh, soon? The first video is going to be Hello Kitty Necklace. Okay, we're cool. Already, we're already working on it. Cool. We already sort of storyboarded it. So, yeah, we're excited about that. That's my Dark Wave songs. Tight. I That'd do. I like to see. The thing is, uh, my, my albums are shift genre every song. Right. And some people can't do that. Some people can't. I can't listen to this because that last song is different than the next one. You know, most bands have a sound. Right. The Weird Paul sound is every thing <laughs> all your influences and do you think and that comes from like weird al would do so many genres too right yeah that's true what what Good is your point do you have a favorite weird al record uh i do i think it's probably uh in 3d because yeah. that was the first one i got uh. and uh i feel like he was still at that point it was uh he wasn't struggling as much to find stuff there was a period where he was struggling to find stuff to parody i think mm, what what because era you the, think Oh, this would have been maybe, uh, I'd say, well, there was like Polka Party or uh -huh. Alapalooza. Those two, I think there was, I think I, I could see them struggling a little, I thought. Because the music like, industry was so in between. That's things, what I'm right? saying, yeah. yeah. And uh, lately, his last couple releases have been just, uh, just incredible. Yeah. He's just, he's gotten so good at what he does. You know, and I saw him live a couple times in the last couple of years. He's just, you know, he's got it just down so well, what he does. And yeah. that's, I think, what we, what anyone needs to try to do. Get it to the point where you're doing it as well as you could possibly do it. You know, right. Before you're gone. Because it takes a long time to get it to that point. I know. And, and make it as well as you can. And when it's authentic, you can repeat it. Yeah. And that's 
the whole distinction between being a created by an A&R, you know? What you're saying, well, uh, I, I, I think, and if you're not, that's fine too. <laughs> if you can get it to the point where you're performing it every night and it still seems like you're doing it for the first time, I mean, the audience still is like, see, you're not, it doesn't seem practiced. Right. You're still coming off as you're authentically just doing it. Man, that's, <laughs> you've done it. You've made it. That's the golden, that's the golden uh, balance. And that's why people like, Wesley Willis was so inspiring to me because art for him was this therapy, this thing that was in his soul that very unconventional, but he had to do it. What's what I love about your stuff and that's what I love about some of my favorite like indie bands and especially solo artists because I want to know their story and I want to, I like the special weird stuff and that's what I've always tried to be myself yeah. and that to me means more than a sold out arena or a huge hit, you know, to create something where you're like, this is my soul on this CD. Here you go, right? Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, they're doing, they're just trying to get, how do we get the next paycheck? How do we get the next uh, hit? Trend, how do we make our song right. trending? And so you're not really worried about showing yourself in it. Right. I mean, the other end of that coin, the other side of that coin, yeah. that I, I could say to you that people might find surprising is, there. I can't remember the name of the producer, but this is a guy who I, I found out. I said I like this song. I like this Backstreet Boy song a lot. I like this Pink song a lot. Mm. You know, there were there was oh this Taylor Swift song. You wouldn't hear respect 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 uh, expect. Now you don't respect me anymore. <laughs> you wouldn't expect to hear me say that that I like songs by those bands. Yeah, but the songs by those bands I liked. I found out they were all co-written and produced by the same guy. Wow. Yeah. So I was like. That's the guy that if I had a million dollars, I'd get him to produce my record. Right. Because it's a, because he are, he would take all your ideas and then filter into something that you both were down with the collaboration hopefully. Yeah. And those people are 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 rare and yeah, that's interesting. He's put his mark on on those tracks. Yeah. That's interesting. Um do you have a favorite song of all time like by is that I know that's a huge question. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, wow. Because you have so much, you have so much I mean, knowledge. I don't really, I don't pay, play favorites with stuff so much. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And I love this. I love that. I mean, there's so many songs where I listen to a song and I will say, oh, "This is the best song that's ever been written." But then there's, of course, <laughs> there's a hundred other ones, you know, right, that, right. that are also right. I mean, all I can say is the, you know, the song. Hearing the one song I heard that probably changed my life more than any other song was "Beat on the Brat" by the Ramones, mm. and Weird Al played it on the Doctor Demento show. That was how I heard it. Uh. I'd never heard punk rock music before uh. that I can really say was punk rock, and I'd never, you know, I'd never heard the Ramones before or anything. And it was interesting that it came from Weird Al. Yeah, interesting. That's how I heard it, and that was when I heard that. I said, "Oh, you, you can, you can write a song about anything. Right. You really can." Make it short as you want. You don't. This is a. This has been released. Right. You know, this is what I wanted to do, but I didn't think that it was real music. But it is. The bravery in that is a big part of punk, right? Being yourself. Oh and, yeah. And the aesthetic of it doesn't have to just be. Doesn't have to sound Very like brave. Sex Pistols. Yeah. Very brave. I mean, that's cool. My hair is the <laughs> the first thing that I can mention when it comes to that because I get a lot of negative criticism about my hair. You know, people say it's awful. Cut it off and, and whatever. <laughs> And I think that, you know, well, I had a friend of mine who was a comedian, and he had a haircut, a crazy haircut. And he yeah. said, you don't have a haircut like we do, Paul, unless you're going to be famous. <laughs> and he's right about that. Because you can't just walk down the street with a crazy haircut and be nobody. I mean, you're just gonna, people are just going to yell at you. Right. So he's right. You have to own that specialness, right? That's right. And that's tight. 
Paul, is there a song of yours we could end the podcast with? Because I always love when I have musicians on to set up one of their songs. Like, is there any song you might want to play? Well, sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what what one, but yeah. you want to play a little dopamine drop. But. Where can fans listening buy some of your merch? Or Well, you can uh, check out my, my website, weirdpaul.com. I mean, that's a good gateway to get to anything. Uh, my Bandcamp page, you know, just Google Weird Paul Bandcamp. I have uh, 20-some albums on there, I think. And then you could listen to those. And then uh, my YouTube channel, of course, uh, is is where all the good stuff is. It's Weird Paul P, because somebody else took Weird Paul before I could get it. What? What's, yeah. what's he posting? Nothing. He never posts anything. It's very depressing. Oh, oh that, my gosh. That's, that's the case. But just Google. All you got to do is, like I tell anybody, just Google Weird Paul. You'll be busy for years. <laughs> As you have been. Um Paul, I know you're a busy person, and I want to tell you, appreciate your hospitality. It's and been a pleasure meeting you today, Lars. You too, Paul. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Yeah, I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. It's my motivation, my preoccupation with gratification. Everyday paying social media dues just for the sake of likes, comments, and views. I'm being exploited. It's hard to say. I hear that I'm loved almost every day. Truth. Everybody be hyping, so I'm tapping, typing, scrolling, and swiping. So tuned in, completely engrossed with how many hearts I got on that post. In the search results, I'm up on top. I got a dopamine drop. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Yeah, I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Dopamine is a neuromodulator, a mood escalator that makes you feel greater. A feel-good hormone made chemically that gives you bliss, euphoria, ecstasy. Anticipating outcomes in social situations, dopamine's released when you meet your expectations. And when these good interactions increase, it reinforces the behavior to make you repeat. And if you get these rewards in a group, bam, a dopamine feedback loop. Consequently, I don't want it to stop. I got a dopamine drop. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Yes. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. On my YouTube, their eyes are glued. The multitude viewed and subscribers accrued. I'm not a quitter. But over on my Twitter, I felt defeated, so I tweeted, then deleted. Scrap that, where's my other app at? Oh, Snapchat, I gotta tap that. I got charisma, damn, nobody dissed me, man. Got props for my fam on my Instagram. My selfie on Facebook really summed it up. I got 63 loves and 100 thumbs up. Man, I look great, no Photoshop. <laughs> I got a dopamine drop. I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Dopamine drop. I 
got another little dopamine drop for you. Yeah, I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Yeah, I got a dopamine drop. I got another little dopamine drop for you. Yeah. Weird Paul, the man, the myth, the legend. Great conversation, right? We touched on everything. And he was very candid and very sweet and gave me a lot of his time. So, like I said, check out his new album. It drops tomorrow. Next week on the podcast, I talked to my drummer, John Thatcher Longley. Many of you may know him from 35 Laurel Drive, where I give his actual address. <laughs> talked about how his house is messy. We hung out because I was in Jersey for Warp Tour with uh, Mike, my guitarist, and Rob, my bassist. And I'd already done an episode with Rob, so I interviewed Mike and John. So John is this week, and then Mike is the week after that. And we talk about the early years of touring and our hijinks in our 20s and what we've learned. And it was a cool interview. So check out John next week, patreon.com slash mclars. We're going to do the free shirt for a story kind of exchange thing with the Google Voice number. I'm going to set that up. And I have another special podcast surprise coming through the Patreon and new songs. And anyway, Dewey Decibel is out with Mega Ran, so be sure to stream that if you haven't. Weird Paul's new record comes out tomorrow, Lit AF. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right, have a great week, everyone. I hope you're having a great summer. If you're listening in Australia or New Zealand, I hope your winter's not too brutal. And uh, yeah, I'll see y'all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.